I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. Welcome to episode 93 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm Len Aberman, and I am joined by my illustrious co-host, Jeff Cohen. Hey, Jeff. Oh, hello, Len. Illustrious, huh? I would say so, yes. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. All right. So, Jeff, before, there was, there's a reason why that song was played at the beginning, but it that's, has to that, do... That's your alma mater, Ohio University. Ohio no. State. Ohio what? State. You went to Ohio University, though. Yes, but that's Ohio State. And that's Ohio York. State. Yes, that's Ohio State's fight song. And why, would, why would you play Ohio State's fight song instead of Ohio University? Well, why don't we play this game that I have, this high-tech. I spent all day developing this. Let's listen. Play the game, Jeff. You are the contestant. And I'm a game show host. So are you ready? This is, by the way, this is not planned. This is, uh, this is a complete surprise to me. Yeah, well, it's, I told you we had a game, so it was very much planned. It's well, as planned pl- as we get. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was planned. <laughs> All right, but here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. We've got a little music even to go with the game. So oh, okay. Okay. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the other by the time I finish this song? Okay. Sorry, Jeff, but I'm not going to let the song finish. All right. Thank you. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be disappointed, but here we go. Are you ready? Yes. As the song said, one of these things is not like the other. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Tell me which doesn't belong. One of these is not like the other. Ray Sheehan of Barbecue Buddha. Bob Trudnack of Barbecue Guru. Meathead of AmazingRibs.com. And Nick Mangold. Ooh, Nick Mangold. Wow. Three barbecue enthusiasts and Nick Mangold. Actually, all four barbecue enthusiasts. But I am going to say Meathead does not belong because the other three have barbecue sauces. 
Wow, you are very good. You, what do I win? You're, you're very good, you. You. No, you, Jeff, you are good. Yes. Um, what do you win? You know why? You win the satisfaction of knowing that you played very well. I would have said, any other person may have said, Nick Mangold. Huh? But you are right. You are, but go ahead. Nick Mangold, well, we just happened to interview him. And he just happens yes, to be on this, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. And he's and not a baseball player. Song, he's a football player. Right. And that song is his fight song because he, he is from Ohio State. And then you know what happened with him. Well, let's just for one second. You picked, you picked Meathead as the one that doesn't belong. Could you tell me why? Or did you already say, I'm sorry? I already said. Yes. But because he does not have his own barbecue sauce. Very good. Yes. Okay. You did say. All right. Yes. All right. So that. So I, it's a good thing I wasn't playing the game, the attention game. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, tonight, this tonight. I always say tonight because we're recording in the evening. People could listen to this anytime they want on this show. Very special show because we've got on two ex-pro athletes, yes. former, I should say former pro athletes. Who are they? Well, we mentioned Nick Mangold, all-star center for the New York Jets. And we also have an all-star pitcher, a, a World Series winning pitcher from the Los Angeles Dodgers, among other teams, Jerry Royce. Pretty cool. That we Pretty have cool, two, yes. two former athletes. But the funny thing is, Nick Mangold... He's not on to talk about football. No, but he does talk a little bit about football. <laughs> yes, he does. He absolutely does. How so, can you talk to an old pro center and not talk a little football? Yeah, you ha yeah of course you have to. And y you know what? He, he Not only all pro, but seven-time Pro Bowl yes. selection. Many say one of the best to play the position. Yep. So, Unfortunately, he played for the New York Jets. <laughs> <laughs> What are you going to do? Before yeah. we get started, Len, let me give everybody our contact information. If you want to give us a call, our phone number is 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Facebook is Baseball and BBQ. Our Twitter address is at Baseball and BBQ. We have a YouTube, Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. And our website is www.baseballandbbq.com. Baseball and bbq.weebly.com. Please rate, review, follow, subscribe to our podcast. And tell your friends. And now we have our interview with Nick Mangold of 74 Barbecue Sauce. Our guest made his living and reputation as the center on the New York Jets for 11 seasons. But it's his passion and skills as a barbecue enthusiast that may ultimately bring him the most fame and joy. As the maker of 74 Barbecue, he has produced sauces which are sweet with a little or a lot of heat, and they are absolutely delicious. The center is considered to be one of the smartest positions on a football field. And our guest is now channeling his smarts into creating these wonderful sauces. We are extremely honored to welcome Nick Mangold. To baseball and barbecue. Welcome, Nick. Oh, thank you very much for having me. 
Welcome, Nick. And I was just telling Jeff that I knew you were going to be friendly because nobody in barbecue is not friendly. Exactly. Right? It's, it's <laughs> like the fr- so I'm like, Nick Mangold will be friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Even without the barbecue, I think that would still be a wise yeah. choice. <laughs> yes, but you know, you can't be, you, you, it's one of those things. You can't go into barbecue and just be like a jerk or not friendly or, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or an introvert. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which we are definitely not. But uh, <laughs> so we thank you for uh, for coming on with us. I just uh, I'll start off the questioning with this. How does one go from an NFL all pro center of the New York Jets for 11 season to a barbecue enthusiast? Well, I think they kind of go hand in hand. You know, <laughs> you don't get to be able to be a center without being a little bit bigger. And barbecue definitely helps you along that way. But it was just, it was kind of one of those transitions where I was very fortunate to have an assistant offensive line coach come to me by the name of Ron Heller. And he is a certified barbecue judge. Um, and so he, he kind of, I, I had a big green egg before that, but he kind of showed me the rope, showed me how to, you know, he, he actually, we did our first, my first full brisket together. He came over the night before. We did all the injecting, the trimming, and then he came over. At, you know, I think it was like five o'clock in the morning. We got things going, uh, spent the day together. So it was it was a cool experience. And once once we did that, I fell in love and, and had to learn and, and find out more. Uh, I knew I always loved the food. I didn't know how much more I would love making it. So it just kind of exploded from there. You know, Nick, it's it, you said love making it. I actually think sometimes I love making it more than eating it. I love to see the reaction of everyone else eating it. Yeah, as long as it's a good reaction, you know. <laughs> you'd hate to see this, someone spit it out. But yeah, that, I mean, I think that's one of the, the things that I love most about barbecue and kind of the world of barbecue is that, yes, it produces a great product. And yes, it, it's fantastic, you know, just as in, in any food well done is going to be a, a great end product. But there's nothing like the preparation, the time, the time spent together. I mean, it's something that you can do together. I love pizza. I'm a big fan of pizza, but that's not an all day thing. Like you're, you're not spending all day, you know, making a pizza, um, but you'll be all day smoking a pork butt. And so it gives you a chance just to kind of hang out and that um, camaraderie, the, the sense of community, family, friends is a big draw for me. So you started uh, with this barbecue sauce. By serving it to your teammates during uh, your playing career, and it was called a, a craft style barbecue sauce. How did you get into going mass production and, and making these sauces? So it, it all started from early on. I had it started taking over a lot of cooking um, at our house in an effort to help out um, once you know we started having kids, and so I, I felt pretty confident in the kitchen. And as I was having people over and having barbecues and stuff, I was like, you know what? I bet I can make a pretty good sauce that people are going to enjoy. So I started tinkering with it looked up recipes, and this was probably four or five years ago. Really, it really took a deep dive into, all right, let me make my own sauce. And finally came to one that, that I loved and that my wife loved. And so once there was at least two of us who figured that that's the one that we wanted to go with, I mean, I'd serve it. And, you know, I'd serve it to people when we'd have, when we'd have company over. Um, if we were dropping food off, I'd, I'd drop off a little jug of it just to, you know, for people to try. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things when you make something, and someone tries it in front of you, you never know if they really like it or if they're just, you know, it's, it's okay, but they're not going to tell you, you know, that it's just pedestrian. And so 
but I enjoyed it. And that was all that mattered for me. Um, and then when we got to a point where we're like, Hey, you know, there might be something to this, you know, we might be able to, to produce this and sell it. I was like, listen, I, I know it's good. I like it. Um, I just don't know if other people like it. So my partner, uh, ended up taking some and doing a blind taste testing, didn't tell him where it came from. Said, Hey, just try this and, and give me your feedback. It came back very positive. And so that's where, uh, that's where we're like, all right, you know, let's, let's see if we can do something with this. And then it's been about almost, we're getting on two years now from when this process started. We started uh, in April, 2019. And so we're, we're creeping up on our two-year anniversary of, of when we're like, you know, all right, we're, we've decided we're going to do this. Let's find out how to do it. Nick, I saw online that you have, you're going to have one sauce for each of your children. So you have four children. So, mm-hmm. so the issue is going to be, if you're going to have more sauces, you're going to have to have more children or if you have more children, you're going to have to have more sauces. So your family planning is going to be really tied to this company. Well, I, I figure my, my thought process is I'm not having any more kids. So that, there's no problem there. <laughs> so if I, you know, when I finally get to put out the next two sauces that are still in the barbecue world, that might be the end of the barbecue. And then I'll switch to something else after that. So that way I could maybe, you know, name one after a dog or maybe our favorite <laughs> tree in the yard. So that way, you know, the barbecue stays for the kids. So we'll, we'll figure out, but that'll be a good problem to have if we can get to that kind of place. When we booked this and it was confirmed, Jeff ran out and he found, actually, he found a local barbecue place by us that had the sauces. So he bought a couple of bottles. And then I happened to be in Ace last night and, and saw the sauces as well. So it's definitely out there. The sauce is excellent. Okay. I had the, uh, OG spicy barbecue sauce. It's a little sweet with a whole lot of heat. Excellent sauce. Had it on uh, pork chops. And my question now is this. We, I still have a lot of sauce left. And this weekend, I want to make it, uh, I want to make something. What should I put the rest of this bottle of sauce on? Your recommendation. <laughs> well, uh, if you talk to my next door neighbor, he, he'll tell you it goes great on spaghetti. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't recommend that. Uh, he's, he's definitely a, a big fan of the sauce. So I, I do appreciate that. My favorite thing to use it on is a pulled pork sandwich. You know, I think it, it gives it the, the right balance when you have a little bit of that coleslaw, the pickle, the amazingly smoked pulled pork, and then uh, just a drizzle of sauce. It all kind of works together. So that would be my recommendation. And if you're outside cook a, a barbecuing for your family, what kind of a what kind of grill are you using? Are you using a smoker? Are you using a, a, a pellet grill? Are you using, you know, charcoal? What are you using? So I'm a big oh, green egg guy. That's my main method. Um, I still have a gas Weber that, you know, we use in sparingly, but when, you know, you need either the room um, or just to do it quickly. I, I love that thing. Like we did, uh, we did grilled chicken last night and, you know, it's it, here in Jersey. I think it was all of uh, 15 degrees with the wind chill. Um, and I wasn't looking to sit outside and get the get the bring, big green egg going. So, you know, we just threw it on real quick and it, it worked out fantastic. So, but, you know, the big green egg is the way to go because I love that you can do, you can do everything from a, a smoked pork butt all the way up to, you know, a beautiful steak and the pizzas and everything in between. So it's, I, I think it's fantastic. I would love at some point to get a side, side box smoker. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. I just I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet because I'm having too much fun with the big green egg. 
Yeah, the big green egg is a is a great grill. It's Kamado grill keeps the heat in really nice. Yeah, very nice. So, Nick, this is the part of the interview where Jeff gets mad at me, which is pretty much every interview, because you are uh, from Ohio and you went to Ohio State. I am not from Ohio, but I spent a good <laughs> amount of, in Ohio. I went to Ohio University. Oh, go Bobcats. Right. My son went to um, Kenyon College in Gambier, Ohio. So mm-hmm. anytime we have a guest from Ohio, I have to say how much I love the state and it's like a. It looks like we have some technical problems there. So uh, I'm going to ask you about your. Uh, you went to Ohio State University. You were the first round draft pick of the New York Jets. I think you were drafted the first round along with Brookshire Ferguson, was also in that draft. Yes. So he must have. He must have served him some of his barbecue sauce. How did he like it? <laughs> uh, he enjoyed it. You know, he never uh, never turned his nose up to it, and uh, I think that was probably one of the big pushes to see if, if other people enjoy it because we used to do a, a barbecue for the offensive line every spring at my house. And, you know, we would, uh, we'd have the whole line over. We'd, we'd put down some food and sauce was always there. Um, and it seemed to go pretty well. So, you know, if the big guys like it, hopefully everyone else likes it. Well, the Brooker show is definitely one of the big guys. I, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, you said we had technical difficulties. So my whole Ohio thing was cut off. We didn't get that. Oh, so I, I just, so Nick, I was just saying that, that I, Ohio's like a second home to me. So I, anytime we have a guest from Ohio, I want them to know how much I love the state. It, it, and you know what? Uh, my wife went to uh, Ohio University. So ah. the Bobcat connection is, is strong right there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But I'm sure she graduated way later than I did. (laughs) I mean, I looked it up. You know, this is this is how you know you're old. You were born the year I started college. So, (laughs) yeah, definitely graduated a couple years after you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, We we can't let a NFL pro bowl person go by without asking a couple of football questions. So. Nick, your career spanned. You only played with the Jets. You had a couple good seasons making the playoffs. Tell us about your experience playing in the NFL, and uh, who would you like playing under? Yeah, it, um, it was a fantastic time um, being able to live out a dream opportunity. And, you know, it was one of those things going through college. Uh, you never knew if it was going to be a real possibility as you're starting out in college. And then by senior year, you figure you might get a, a shot at it. To be, to be able to do it for 11 years was a lot of fun. I take great pride in that. But it was it was one of those things. I wish we would have had more success. You know, I, I hate uh, that I haven't didn't win a Super Bowl. You know, I know other guys can hold that over me, which I hate. You know, things that could be held over me. But you know, we still I still had a lot of fun. I wouldn't change it, uh, other than winning a Super Bowl. You know, the highs and the lows. And it was neat doing it in New York. You know, such a different experience uh, being in New York rather than Ohio. And so we're pretty fortunate that uh, we got picked up here, and, and I was able to stay here. You you had a pretty. Uh... Pre-eccentric coach uh, with Rex Ryan, didn't you? Yeah, uh, Rex was a wild child, especially coming from Eric Mangini, who was very buttoned up, you know, and very business-like. Having Rex coming in it was kind of, it, it was, you know, the polar opposite. And it was it was neat seeing the, the differences. But then at the same time, you know, they're both great defensive minds. So, you know, seeing some of the similarities. And, you know, we had, we had some good runs with Rex, which I think also helped. Nick, what was the best gift you ever got from the quarterback, right? The quarterback buys you guys something every year. Mm-hmm. What was the best gift? 
Ooh, I got some really great ones. Chad was always very generous. And I remember, and it's funny now, I mean, I don't know if it's the greatest gift I got, but it's funny thinking back, you know, just how fast technology has changed and everything. I remember, I think it was my soft or not sophomore, my second year. So this was 2007. Chad got us a, uh, a, it was brand new. It was the Blu-ray player. And I mean, the thing was the size of like a huge shipping cardboard box. <laughs> like, was, and, and now you look at him, you see him in, you know, in the room there and they're, they're just tiny little disc things. But at the time it was, it was so cutting edge. And I was like, this thing's awesome. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know what would be a good gift for everyone? If I was the quarterback this year, let's say, I think I would have gotten everyone a, a nice pellet grill, maybe a Traeger <laughs> for everyone. A Traeger for everyone. I, although I feel like I know we've given, we as an offensive line would get the offensive line coach a, a gift every year. Um, and I think we gave out a couple of big green eggs along the way. Um, nice. That's you know, a good gift too. Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, so we, we, the big guys think with their bellies. I think the quarterbacks think with their minds and hearts. Now, Nick, also, I hear that you are a uh, wine connoisseur. So one of our, one of our listeners actually wanted to know what kind of wine are you bringing to a barbecue? What goes best with barbecue? That's a tough call. You know, I, it's always funny. Like I feel wine obviously is fantastic in every situation, but for some reason, to me, barbecue just screams beer, and so I, I usually tend to shy away from the wine. But here at the Mangled Household, we always have uh, Cabernet Sauvignon on on, on stock. So um, if I were to to crack something open, probably be a big red, uh, maybe a Pinot Noir would be would be nice as well. And then especially in the summer months, you know, I I always love uh, a very crisp white. Like if we're doing a smoked chicken, you know, a nice white, nice uh, Sauvignon Blanc goes great when it's you know eighty ninety degrees out. Uh, and you get something really chilled. And it's quite delicious. People wanted to find your, your sources. I, I see you're mostly on the East Coast. I mean, a little out in Ohio and some in Delaware, Jersey, New York. But if they wanted to order from your website, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, uh, just go to 74bbq.com. You can uh, you can buy it online there. Uh, we're also on Amazon and I think walmart.com. So you can find it online pretty easily. Uh, and we're trying to expand further out than our little hub here in East Coast. But we found during a pandemic that's kind of challenging. Nick, I saw also that um, some of the proceeds from the sales go to a charity called Answer the Call, which is the New York Police and Fire Widows and Children's Benefit Fund, which is, uh, that's fantastic. That, and I, when I told someone that, they said, oh, then I would definitely buy the sauce. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, that's a charity that I've been involved with for almost 10 years now. And so when we were starting this up and said, you know what, I'd love to have a charitable component to this. They said, all right, well, you know, what's your, do you have a foundation or do you have a charity? And I was like, no, I don't. But, you know, we give to other ones. And then I was thinking about it a little bit more and, and having answered the call. You know, I, I've lent my ugly mug for them and, and done different uh, donations here and there for silent auctions and whatnot. But now to have an opportunity to give a portion of our proceeds to them as a monetary contribution, you know, is really makes me feel good knowing that a passion project of mine that includes my kids that I, you know, it's my baby that I want to get out to everybody, but also the more sauce I sell, the more money we can give them is a nice, uh, nice little, the nice little push for me. So uh, they're a great charity. They do fantastic work. Um, and we're, we're real proud to be partnering with them. 
and talking about your mug, your logo for the sauce, and of course, this is audio, so people can't see this, but you better go buy the sauce and you'll see what I'm talking about, is of course, your beard. It's 74 BBQ with your beard. So basically, you can never shave. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we we kind of put that in there. You know, it was kind of tongue in cheek. When we were going through logo design, we went through a lot of different iterations of things. And, you know, (laughs) we were trying to come up with something, you know, trying to come up with maybe like a guy in a football stance or something like that. And I said, well, what if we just did a beard and then put like, you know, the name over top of it, like, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> Let's work with that. And so we, uh, we went with that and, you know, I'm pretty happy with that because it, it, you know, you can't mistake it when you're walking down uh, the grocery aisle and you see it, they, they, it's definitely one of a kind. Absolutely. And I also want people to know that you go on the website, 74bbq.com. It also has recipes on there and where else to find sources. So definitely check that out. Yeah. We're, uh, we're working to add more recipes to it. Apparently, I didn't go to school for recipe writing, um, and it's kind of tricky because a lot of my cooking, a lot of stuff I do, you know, I, I put a, a dash of this, a hint of that, mix it up and see how it comes out. I never tend to write things down. So, you know, that, that we're, uh, we're, we're hoping to put out more because uh, we definitely have plenty of food that the Mangold family goes through like no one's business. You know what, Nick? Let's talk about that for a second because you went from making the sauce in the kitchen and people liking it and, you know, everyone saying I would buy this or whatever. And now you've got a co-packer, right? I, uh, mm-hmm. Making this and stuff. And now you have to have very specific measurements and the ingredients. And how many variations of this sauce do you go through until you finally get where it's you know, ready for the shelf. And it also has to be shelf stable as well. So there may be things you have to add to it that you didn't have before. So take us through that. Well, that, and that's one of the nice things about barbecue sauce is that all the ingredients in it um, are shelf stable to begin with. So you get two to three years uh, longevity out of it. So, you know, we were pretty happy with that, that without having to add like a bunch of chemicals and stuff to it. And the original sauce, I mean, I, I don't know how many uh, iterations I went through. I'm glad that I was smart enough to write it down as I was going through so that when I finally got to the one that I, I really liked, um, I knew what I did. But yeah, we, we it went through a ton to get it there. And then um, it's now interesting seeing it where you go from you know making it in the kitchen and you just give it to some friends to having to get it analyzed for nutritional value, you know, making sure that you have your allergens posted on there so that, you know, people know what it is. Um, and so going through that was, was quite a learning process, which, you know, it, it was neat to do like, like the whole thing. I mean, logo design, label design, uh, how you select a bottle, you know, where, how you set the price point you know, all the stuff that goes into it, uh, was pretty cool to learn kind of on the job. You know, uh, Len, you know, Nick's, Nick isn't only the, uh, the athlete in his family, Nick, you have a sister who was on the uh, Olympic team. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, great. She, uh, she competed in the 2012 Summer Olympics for women's weightlifting. and came in 10th, so that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Absolutely. Congratulations also, on that. She also played football, right? Yeah, she did. She played through high school, which that's what she wanted to do, and uh, we supported her, and, and she, uh, she actually did pretty well. So she may actually be the best football player in the family. We 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 don't know, but <laughs> we we don't know. Um, we can't say for certain. But uh, being the older brother, I definitely have the leg up. 
There you go. <laughs> okay. Um, before before we let you go, Nick, I just want to know what was your proudest moment in the in the NFL? Uh, you know, I think it was probably beating New England in the playoffs, and uh, that was 2011 playoffs. Um, we went to New England, um, and you know, no one gave us a shot, and we ended up beating them. You know, in New England, that was, that was pretty awesome. I, I wish we would have followed that game up with a, another good performance, so we could have been in the Super Bowl. But you know, we'll we'll kind of skip that part and just stick with the uh, the beating New England in New England in the playoffs. Right. <laughs> So, Nick, do you ever miss the, you, you know, right now, I, I thought about this, knowing you were going to come on, and I was going to ask you if you were going to do any kind of barbecue competitions, because we've spoken to some people uh, that have been in sports, and they sometimes will compete with the barbecue. They miss, they miss the competitive nature, so they'll start doing something else, like barbecue competitions. you have any desire to do that? Um, I don't know if I have any desire to do barbecue competitions. They're very particular on what they're looking for. Like I, I like barbecue to be a little bit more fun and, you know, it doesn't turn out the same way um, each time, w- which I kind of enjoy. Uh, but I have done some cooking competitions, you know, just in, in general cooking. And, and that is a lot of fun, you know, seeing, seeing your creation get judged against someone else's creation is pretty neat. And I've won some, I've lost some, uh, but they've still all been a lot of fun. I think I get more of my competition from, you know, I think my golf game, which is really terrible. And so I, I'm not much of a competitor, um, but I at least think I can, I am. And so that, that makes it exciting. Well, you know, with the sauce, the sauce market is extremely competitive. I mean, there's, you know, you, there, there's the ones you see on the shelf all the time. You know, we, we won't even name names, but you know the ones <laughs> I'm talking about. Oh, I know. Right. That in itself is competitive. But you know what? If anybody could do it, it would be a pro athlete because you, you know, you, you defy the odds. I mean, how many, what's the percentage of people that go on and become pro athletes and, and you know, play an 11 season uh, career in the NFL? So if anybody's going to do it, and I, I'm not, you know, trying to blow smoke, but it's definitely you. And uh, that, that in itself is very competitive, getting your sauce on the shelf um, and, and getting it out there and people buying it. So that uh, you, you should be commended on that. Yeah, it's cutthroat. Um, and so, it, you know, because when you walk through a grocery store, you see the, the wall of sauce and, and how they get on there and, and who selects them. And, you know, it's, it's been challenging, I think, because of the pandemic. Our first production rolled off in um, March 13th, 2020. And so that has made it a challenge because a lot of sales for, Sauce is actually just going into a store, finding a manager, finding a buyer and say, here, try this. I think it should be on your shelves. And then, you know, setting out on the table in front of a grocery store and saying, here, try this. You can buy it inside, those type of things. So uh, not being able to do any of that, I think, has made it a little bit more difficult. But the fact that we're still able to be in stores and online with the limited access that we've had is pretty awesome. Um, and so I'm hoping as things kind of normalize a little bit more, uh, we'll be able to get even further and really, you know, explode out and then hopefully become, you know, I could become king of the sauce. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's not a bad title. Not, not bad at all. <laughs> with the crown and everything. You'd have this, the logo with the beard and a little crown on top. Yeah, a little crown, a little sideways crown on there. Yeah, be, not bad. Like, yeah, yeah. And uh, Nick, also, somebody also mentioned they saw you uh, at, a, at a Ranger hockey game. And uh, so you like the Rangers, huh? New York Rangers? 
Yeah, I'm stuck on the Rangers. Um, I went there a couple years ago for the first time, um, and we had a ball, and so I, I, I was sucked in. Being in Ohio, we don't really uh, have uh, – hockey was not a big thing for us, so I didn't, didn't really grow up watching it or anything. Um, and so having the experience going in Madison Square Garden um, and, and watching a game is just it, – it's pretty awesome. So I, I got sucked in the Rangers. I get a lot of grief from Jets fans that say that I have to be an Islanders fan, but, you know – Tough noogies. Yeah, I don't. I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get that connection. Right. It's the same with baseball. With Met fans, have to be a certain team. But mm-hmm. what does oh, one have to do with the other? Well, you know who has a you know who has a little conflict there is a former Jet quarterback Boomer Sison, whose son-in-law plays for the New York Islanders. Right. There you go. So yeah, he, he better be an Islanders fan. <laughs> well, he's not. He loves the Rangers. Exactly. Yeah, we can't make it up. Right. <laughs> Nick, we want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, do you still follow the uh, Jets uh, during the during the seasons? Oh yeah, uh, I'm I'm locked into them. You know, we're still here in Jersey, and uh, so you know, we're right around. Uh, my son is a big Jets fan. I don't know why, uh, but he is, and so you know, we're we're locked in, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we turn things around this year. You know, it, last year was tough. You know, it was kind of the the beatdown of the season. But, you know, we're on to bigger and better things, new beginnings. And so fingers crossed that, uh, that they can right the ship and get things going. New, new coach, new beginning. That's right. Exactly. Nick, we want to thank you so much for coming on. The sauce is incredible. It's Mangold's 74 Barbecue. Everyone, I highly suggest you find this sauce. You will really enjoy it. It, it is sweet with a little heat or a lot of heat. It's really good stuff, and we will, keep, we will keep using it, supporting you, and we can't thank you enough for coming on with us. Thank you, awesome. Nick. I appreciate you guys having me. All right. Take care. And we want to thank Nick Mangold for joining us. What a great guy, isn't he? He really was a lot of fun. It's a shame that he can't shave <laughs> 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 because they'd be changing a lot of bottles. Yes. Although he – right? I heard him uh, in another interview saying that they were doing something with, with the logo. There was something that he, they had to change. But I know it's not the beard. So The beard's got to stay. Yeah, yeah, the beard's got to stay. And uh, like we said in the interview, it's the sauce company's helping with his family planning. Yeah. Because <laughs> if he ever wants to have another kid, he's got to really think about what kind of sauce he's going to have. So Exactly. Jeff, today is, as we're recording this, it's May 6th. And it is a very special birthday. Yes. It is Willie Mays' 90th birthday. 90th birthday to Willie. Happy birthday, Willie. Happy birthday, Willie. I think one of, what a, one of, I think he is the best to have ever played the game. He is, you heard of a five-tool player. Willie Mays was a six-tool player because he had all the physical tools, but he also used his head. He knew the game from a mental standpoint and he helped his team win just because he knew where to position and helped his other teammates, what they were going to do. It was just, he, he was just, the you know, like you said, greatest ball player. Yeah. Great baseball mind. And, and then Jeff, you know, we, we wish Willie Mays a happy birthday. You mentioned the tools. And of course my mind goes right to baseball, bbq.com with, with their grilling tools and accessories. <laughs> I, that's how my mind works. What a, what a segue. Right to, exactly. You're so, like, you like those on the baseball broadcast, you know, oh, 
Tyron Walker <laughs> painted the corners. Brought to you by Pittsburgh Paint. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. So, <laughs> and that, that's a good was, point. <laughs> <laughs> he was out by a mile. Speaking of miles, if you go one mile, you'll get to. Uh, <laughs> Aaron Judge was the 15th ball player of the game, and for 15%. I hate that. And it's just, it's getting annoying, you know? Yes, I, well, yes. But uh, it's so funny, though. I did think of that as soon as you said tools. So baseballbbq.com, we love them. We love the tools. They've got some new ones coming that are coming out. You guys heard them on the last episode. Was it the last or? I forget, but right talking about their their new tools they've got a pair of tongs that i i want to get my the tongs we don't have yet we've got to get our hands on those tongs yes we do anyway we have now this is such a special episode jeff i really think so because i don't think we've ever had two former professional athletes who were really top of their game all-stars definitely all-stars yes you know so jerry royce Jeff, you want to give us a little little background for Jerry Royce before we bring in that interview? Jerry Royce is a member of the 1981 Los Angeles Dodgers who won the World Series. He actually, and if you listen toward, at, toward the end, at the end, he was part of a group, <laughs> the Big Blue Wrecking Crew, <laughs> along with Jay Johnstone, Steve Yeager, and Rick Monday. And they went on solid gold, and they did the uh, We Are the Champions. So ch- check that out at the end. Yeah, it, and it, well, it, we have... We and actually you, and YouTube and look on YouTube. Yeah, it's at the well, it's a, oh, when you said check it out at the end, you meant at the end of our show. Yes. Yeah, we have that at the end of the show. You put that in. So our our apologies in advance to the poet and the musician, because and I think they'll forgive us on yes. this one because we we subbed out our uh, music where they usually end our show to put that on. But I we talked about that in the interview with Jerry Royce and then. We we don't have the editing capabilities to add that in. So we put it at the end. Right. So you have to listen to the end because you're going to love this. Yes. And he's, he's such a great guy, such a, a prankster. And he played for he played for his hometown team, the St. Louis Cardinals. He was drafted out of he's from St. Louis. Right. Played for the Cardinals. He also played for the Pirates and the Dodgers and among, among other teams. And he was just a, a great, great interview. He had 220 wins, Jeff. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at no. all. I mean, he played for 22 years, and one of the things you guys will hear in the interview is I tell Jerry how I used to feel about what, look, I, I don't know if you'd call him a compiler. I guess anyone who stays around a long time and compiles numbers is a compiler, but I have so much respect, and we said that in the interview for what he did over 22 years. 22 years, yes. He, he gets into the major leagues, and then for 22 years, he competes at a level where he stays in the major leagues and and gets 220 wins, 1,907 strikeouts. Yep. I, he wins a World Series. I mean, what a career he had. Absolutely. So I guess we don't want to we don't want to ruin it, but uh, I mean, we talk about a lot in that. So Jeff, do your thing. And here's Jerry Royce. We are honored to have with us on Baseball and BBQ a pitcher who pitched for 22 Major League seasons, a member of the 1981 World Champion Los Angeles Dodgers, started 1975 All-Star Game, winning pitcher of the 1980 All-Star Game, threw a no-hitter against the San Francisco Giants, owns 220 career wins, 
Played for eight teams, but mostly known for pitching with the L.A. Dodgers and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Jerry Royce. Thanks, Jeff. Jerry, you were born in St. Louis, drafted by St. Louis, and debuted for St. Louis. That must have been a thrill. Can you tell us about it? You know, it was out of my control. It As a um, high schooler in the mid-60s, graduating high school in 1967, the Cardinals drafted me in the second round. So when I did agree to a contract, it fulfilled for me a a lifelong dream, and that is to play for the hometown ball club. Now, growing up in St. Louis, or for anybody growing up in a municipality where there's a major league ball club, the dream is to play for the hometown club. I was one of the few out of millions who had that dream that was able to fulfill it. That's amazing. How's, how's the barbecue in St. Louis, Jerry? I got to get to the important stuff. St. Louis style ribs, pork steaks with the bone in, you can't beat it. It's summertime. You know, I would imagine right now you got on the back end of fall, you could probably sneak in a barbecue this coming Sunday. And if you're lucky and the weather works, you might be able to have something, well, Thanksgiving weekend. So you have turkey on Thursday, Friday and Saturday, maybe. Just maybe if you're lucky, there'll be some time for barbecue. Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to make myself some, uh, myself, for the family, some ribs, maybe a brisket. I'm I'm thinking of some big-time cooking. Forget the turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry, fascinating fact about you, and we've, we've got to clear this up. Are you the only player who was traded because someone did not like your mustache? What, what is that about? Tell that, please. Well, I, I don't think it was because someone. It was because the owner of the Cardinals, August A. Bush, uh, had a frame of mind at that particular time with regards to players and facial hair. But there was a lot of other things going on as there was uh, in the early six, or mid-60s, late-60s. He was disgruntled about the fact that players were looking for more pensions. They were looking for higher salaries. And he had gotten into baseball in a time when these things, well, they didn't take hold. But players were being more adamant about protecting their future. Marvin Miller came onto the scene. And, well, one thing led to another. Steve Carlton had a contract dispute. And Mr. Bush was in no mindset to handle something even as as small as a mustache. When he saw it, he said, get rid of them or, you know, have them shave or get rid of them. And that was pretty much it. So I didn't know about it until, well, later on, uh, when I ran into Bing Devine in 1996, when visiting St. Louis and Bush Stadium, we sat down in the press press area during a ball game. So I asked him about it. And he says, yeah, it's because you grew a mustache. And uh, that surprised me. I had heard rumors about that, but until he substantiated it. I I thought it was just that, rumors. But that happened, and well, it just set into motion a number of different stops throughout 22 different years. Yes, and the next stop for you was Houston, and you played for Leo DeRocha on his last stop. How'd you get along with Leo? Well, not very well. Leo, Leo was a holdover from a different generation, and I think he had a distorted view of what players were like that at that particular point in time. Uh, he believed and said so in his book. 
that he wanted to be a friend to the players. Well, I know ball players probably as well as anybody, at least back in those days. And guys in their early 20s, mid 20s, even early 30s, they don't want a 65, 70-year-old pal sitting with them playing cards in the clubhouse and taking their money. So it was a distorted view, was I think a misjudgment on Leo's part, getting involved with the Astros. So, you know, I guess he wanted one more one more grab at the brass ring and knew that Houston at that time was on the cusp of making some noise in the National League West. But for whatever reason, well, I know the reason, it was called the Big Red Machine, Houston couldn't get themselves over the top. You know, not just Leo, you played for some really big-name managers. I mean, Hall of Fame was Red Shandies and Timeless Sorter. You also played for Danny Murtaugh, Pete Rose, Jim Leland. That's some impressive list. Did you get along with most of them, and how, how did you connect with them? I, can, I thought I did pretty well with them. Uh, you know, I understood exactly what their job was and let them do their job. Of course, sometimes when a, a situation came up in a game, I was a bit curious about the process of that particular moment, the decision-making process, but uh, it was their job to run the ball game. My job as a pitcher, if I was playing in that particular ball game, was to get outs. Now, Jerry, you had a very long, illustrious career. I mean, 220 wins is, is nothing to sneeze at. Nope, not at all. <laughs> and, and especially in this day and age when the wins are extremely hard for starting pitchers to come by. They win, they win Cy Young's based on ERA. You started the 75-1975 All-Star Game. I, I got to know, since I'm never going to start an All-Star Game, <laughs> I might be in one, you know, there's still hope. But I'll never start. Tell us what that experience was like. Well, I think that uh, the starting pitcher was determined in part by who had the most rest. And I don't remember the complete roster of all the players that were there, but I started five days before that particular Tuesday. So I had as much rest as anybody, and it was determined. I don't know how it was determined, but I bet Walt Alston, the manager of the National League Club, said he's got the most rest, that works for me, and I got the chance to start the ball game. Do you remember how many innings you went? Because I know obviously today they go one inning and it's done. But I remember watching in the the 70s, pitches go, what, three, four innings? No, not four innings. Three innings, I think, was the limit. So I went three. I was probably at the tail end of a a starting pitcher of an all-star game going three. Again, I had no – I had no say-so in just how long I could go. I, it was my first All-Star game. I would have pitched all nine if they would have let me. <laughs> Show the hell of an experience. Uh, you had the honor of being an opening day pitcher for three different teams, Pirates, Dodgers, and White Sox. How were you told that you were getting the opening assignments? I know sometimes those stories are, are really fun. Uh, let's see. The first time it happened was with Pittsburgh, I think in 74, Doc Ellis was slated to be the opening day pitcher when the Pirates opened in St. Louis, but Doc hurt his hand, was unable to make the start, and by process of elimination, I was named the starting pitcher against Bob Gibson in my hometown. But I also got the start, the opening day start in 1977. So I opened twice for the Pirates during my tenure there. 
for the Dodgers, putting open on in 1981 because of a pulled leg muscle, pulled calf muscle, and the process of elimination settled on a rookie by the name of Fernando Venezuela. Who? The rest they say is history. Yeah. Who? So, Never heard of him. <laughs> and then in 1989, I was the winningest pitcher for the White Sox in 1988. It was uh, it was just a two year deal, and since I had been since I had done the best, I was honored with the opening day start. So three different teams, three well four different opening days that I got to start. I consider that an honor. And, uh, if you talk to a number of pitchers, they to be named the opening day. Well, that's kind of a that that, that definitely is an honor. Sure, Jerry, you you pitched so many years. It was only it was towards the end of your career, I believe, that you started to have, you know, injury issues or whatever. But what kind of you never had. Well, they didn't even have Tommy John surgery, but you never had any major issues with your arms. So I'm interested to know these days, Tommy John surgery and all these other surgeries are so common. What did you do to keep that arm taken care of? I mean, what was your special, was there any kind of special process that you did or did you just ice it down after every game? No, I didn't ice it down after every game. In fact, that didn't start until I joined the Dodgers in the late seventies. I think a lot of it had to do with taking rest in the off season as far as throwing, but I did stay in shape physically. In fact, in the mid-70s, I picked up racquetball, but I played it right-handed. That seemed more natural to me, and that was my conditioning. And then in the 80s, I added weight training, Nautilus programs. Uh, of course, they've evolved quite a bit since then, uh, not only the Nautilus program, but now teams have strength and conditioning that have program. I was on the tail end of that in the late 80s. Uh, I did get some information from the White Sox at one particular offseason that said, here's, um, and it was a continuation of my inner, uh, or of my um, regular offseason. So for me, it wasn't much of a transition at all. So I was, um, I was fortunate. I was blessed. I did have arm issues, um, elbow, two elbow surgeries and two surgeries on my feet. But since I've retired, I've had a knee replacement I've had um, back surgery, so uh, I guess the answer is nobody gets through without paying some price, whether it's me or, or, or whether it's baseball or whether it's just my age. Jerry, you pitched in an era of fantastic pitching. It was Siva, Carlton, as you said, Clemens, Palmer, Gooden, and of course uh, the aforementioned Fernando Valenzuela. How crazy was L.A. during the time of Fernando Mania? Well, it wasn't just L.A. It was all of, all of baseball. There are a number of articles, maybe even a few books written about Fernand, about how he created fans in areas where Spanish was predominantly spoken, more so than anybody else in baseball history. So it was more or less a movement. It wasn't just a, a kid that came along and won some ball games. So it was, a, it was a historic proportion, not quite what we saw with Jackie Robinson or, or even with the current hiring of Kim Ng with the Miami Marlins. That's the uh, time will tell just how important it is as far as changing the nature of the front office in Major League Baseball. 
but Fernando did have his place with Spanish-speaking countries as far as creating fans. It's an impact that's felt even today. Sure, absolutely. To get the most fun part of your career, you you were known as a, much of a, a prankster, and you pulled a prank from manager on another team. Can you tell the tell the story when you showed up in a manager's office claiming to be traded. Oh yeah, that I wrote about that in my book. Bring in the right hander. Just a quick background on the book. I knew I wanted one day to put down a lot of the things that happened because people weren't getting the story straight. So I decided to do it, but at the same time make it even bigger than that and explaining from start to finish just what happened with my baseball career. In 1986, I was, well, I was rumored to be traded to just about any club. So as a result, uh, I figured I needed one big impact moment to where I could settle all of these different questions because I was getting tired of it. And it was beginning to take a life on itself inside the clubhouse because other guys were having having to deal with it. It just so happens that the Dodgers were in Chicago playing the Cubs. And at the same time that evening, the White Sox were playing the Yankees. Uh, So I decided on a whim that I was going to trade myself to the Yankees and have some fun with the New York press, the Chicago press and Los Angeles and go ahead and pull something off like that. (laughs) <laughs> it took some cojones to get it done, and but I did it. I walked in the clubhouse and said, I can pitch, I can start, I can relieve. This is to Lou Pinella, who was the manager of the Yankees. And he says, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, well, maybe you ought to be, you ought to give George a call and see what's going on. So it was, it, it, it was just something I did. I think back on it right now. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a real sound decision, but, Bad decisions make great stories. <laughs> we, we interviewed Jason Turnbow on, on a book, Lay Bed Blue, uh, recently. And there was a story that you walk into Lasota's clubhouse and there was Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I remembered that incident. I was in the back of the other clubhouse doing my weight training. I didn't know what was going on, but... In any given moment, there was a celebrity that could have come through the Dodger clubhouse. Lasorda embraced all celebrities, people from all walks of life, politicians, uh, celebrities, members of religious groups. And when you walk in a clubhouse, you just didn't know who you were going to see. I was making my way to my locker, and yet there was a crowd of people in the middle of the clubhouse. And I tried to make my way by, but Lasorda grabbed me by the arm and said, uh, this is Jerry Royce. And in the middle of some of two or three guys that were my size with three-piece suits, kind of strange looking, he said, I looked and saw this smaller guy, about five foot eight, five foot nine, who, who put his hand out and shook hands with me. And at that moment, I just said, I'm sorry, I didn't get the name. I knew who it was. So he had some fun with it. And, and had a laugh about it. So it, it was one of those stories that seemed to have legs and, and people want to repeat it every, every once in a while, and just like you're doing today. Sure. <laughs> Great story. Uh, yeah. So, and you win, the, you win the 81 World Series. I know you, you uh, had a very, I guess you had a second career. It might have been short-lived, but you ha- are an incredible singer, aren't you? 
Jerry. You you went on solid gold as a member of the Big Blue Wrecking <laughs> Crew, and you you blew people away with the, with those with the golden tones. Well, first I'll dispel that rumor. I am not a <laughs> singer. I will never profess to be a singer. I don't think anybody in that group would ever say that uh, they were giving up their baseball career to sing. But the resultant trip to solid gold was a week that four of us, that's Rick Monday, Steve Yeager, Jay Johnstone, and myself, uh, came as close as we could be to rock stars. Uh, It started with the parade for the World Series the previous Wednesday. And on Friday, on, on, um, on that Friday, Peter O'Malley had a private lunch for everybody in the organization to celebrate the World Series win. And it was at that luncheon when Jay was approached and I was approached uh, to appear on a program called Fridays. It was ABC's answer to Saturday Night Live. It was short-lived, and so, but we appeared on it. After the program, Jay was on the phone, which is usually where we found him, and asked, you guys want to make a record? Sure, let's make a record. Let's see what this is all about. And the next thing I know, we're each singing into the phone, try to get a key. And it was the determination of a gentleman by the name of Bob Emmer with Rhino Records, who wanted to put a record out uh, when, if and when the Dodgers won the World Series. So we did New York, New York, and we are the champions. Now, he had, a, he had a lot of interest at that time in the club. In fact, on that Friday, on Saturday, we actually got some rest. Sunday, we got up early, went into Capitol Studios in Hollywood, and recorded our part. On Monday, Monday morning, we were using Barbara, Mandel, Barbara Mandrell's uh, dance coordinator, who put together something for us so that when we appeared on the Carson show on Monday night, we'd have a little something to go along with uh, singing the song. And so we appeared on Carson on Monday night, I think it was November 3rd, Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, there were other appearances on other nighttime shows, Mike Douglas, uh, to name one of them, Merv Griffin, another. And then on that Saturday morning, we had our, our finale on Solid Gold. And by this time, we had we had the dance steps down and we sang to a tape. So that's the one that appears on the internet. And I warn anybody that wants to see what this is about, that once you, you can't unsee it. So, so if you watch it, it's at your own risk and you just shake your head and eventually come to the realization that it was four guys who have absolutely no talent for dancing, less talent for singing, performing on solid gold with some of the top rock acts of uh, that era back in 1981. So, you know, for me, it was a week to remember. And it's still, when I think of it, I get a big smile on my face because it was a crazy time for one, winning the World Series and, and then having the appearances the way we did. So it was a fun time. And it's hard to believe right now that it was 39 years ago, just about this time when all of that happened. Yes, yes. And by the way, it is, it is solid. Actually, it is solid gold. Go, go Google it. It is fantastic. <laughs> Jerry, you, you know, there's, there's certain teams that, I mean, for, for Jeff and for myself, we're big Met fans. And 
So the 86 Mets have a place. But there are certain teams, the 81 Dodgers, I, I'm not going to mention all the, the teams, but that stand out. I don't know why, you know, every year there's a World Series winner. They don't write books about that team every year. They don't, I, I, there's something about the 81 Dodgers that all over America, who knows how far, people know that team. Why is that team so special? Well, I guess because of the history of the Dodgers and the Yankees, it goes back to the New York days of the 40s and the 50s, uh, the Dodgers winning the National League, the Yankees winning the American League, and it was, with the exception of 1955, uh, in Brooklyn that the Yankees always won the World Series, but there was that inner-city rivalry. And back in those days, a West Coast trip meant going to St. Louis. So it was something that expanded. And even though the Dodgers and the Yankees squared off in 63, that really didn't excite people as much. Well, maybe so because it was just a different time and place as 1981. There was a strike in 1981, 50 games or so were lost by every major league club. Uh, There was an extra round of playoffs to qualify. And when the dust settled, it was the Dodgers and Yankees left standing. Yankees won the first two, Dodgers won the next four. And that was the last time that they met in the World Series. But surprisingly, not much was said about it through the rest of the 80s, the 90s, even 2000. And then maybe in the last five five years or so, Jason, you, who you talked about was on the program, he decided to write a book about it. Monday Rick Monday had written a book a little bit about it, discussing some of the things that happened during that uh, the 80s decade. And then there was my book and then Jason's book. And there's another one out now called Split Season. That's not Jason's book, is it? I don't think so, no. So there, there's more interest now in looking at the nostalgia of the early 80s. I guess that's by people who were not even teens yet, maybe mm-hmm. pre-teens and and teenagers who look back on those times and say, boy, was it ever different back then? So uh, maybe it's just, it's time for uh, the interest to peak in that. Uh, I don't really know, but uh, I do kind of enjoy the fact that uh, there is a light shining on that particular point in time, because those were the best years that I had, the early 80s, when I pitched for the Dodgers. And in a way, it gives me a chance for a victory lap. I don't normally live that, uh, live those things. I've moved on. And right now it's more about living for today. I'm in my 70s, you know. So uh, looking back, every day that I look back is one less day that I can look forward. Uh, It's nice to be remembered. It's uh, even nicer to be recognized and acknowledged. But, you know, it's it's all about today for me. Yeah. You pitched a no-hitter in June of 1980 against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, looking at your line score, you struck only struck out two people, didn't walk a batter, and it, I guess except for a, an error, you would have had a perfect game. Was that the, like the best game you, you pitched in your life? I know sometimes, you know, people throw no hitter. It, it was just uh, another game, but sometimes it, it's like the best game they ever pitched. How about you? No, you did. I pitched a lot of better games back back in the day, and I couldn't actually tell you which ones they were. Let's see, in 81, there was a game against the Cardinals 
where I threw a complete game, just needed 81 pitches. Another one where I needed 86. So I consider those games to be a little bit more relevant than uh, than what I did in that um, in the World Series or in the um, or in that no hitter. You know, I actually sat down and watched it for first time in full when I wrote the book, and that was six years ago. And then I looked at it again this past summer because I had a lot of time, just like everybody else. Only this time I looked at it and I charted the pitches. I was curious as to how many three ball counts I had, how many pitches it took to have a no hitter and what percentage I threw of first pitch strikes. And, and then when I analyzed, I can't recall the numbers specifically right now, but I think it was something like 105 pitches and 70, better than 70 of them were for strikes. So anytime I usually, I think that the average for a major league pitcher, if he throws two out of three pitches for strikes, he's doing a pretty good job. In that particular game, I threw 70%. So uh, those percentages were impressive to me. I had 18 first pitch strikes out of 27 batters that I faced. That's always a good number. For me, strikeouts weren't that important. For me, inducing contact was my main way of winning ball games. And in that ball game, when you consider you face 28 batters, have a little over 100 pitches, uh, you know, that's less than four pitches per hitter. So you're getting the job done. And when you combine the strikeouts and the groundouts, I think it was somewhere between 18 and 20. So if you look at it from that point of view, that's pretty commanding. Uh, the strikeout numbers is what everybody wants to look at because, well, those are pitcher power numbers. Uh, I just don't consider all that important. Getting outs is what's important. Jerry, I should I should know this, but the the error in the game was that was that later in the game or or earlier? It was and in the first inning. It? Two outs in the first inning. Uh, okay, uh, so so it wasn't so it wasn't really a big factor. Nobody's thinking no hitter at that point point right. in time. Uh, the first question I was asked after the ball game was, am I disappointed because it didn't have a perfect game? How can you be disappointed about anything when you get a no-hitter? So, no, it didn't bother me. In fact, uh, Leonard Coppett, the Hall of Fame reporter from the Bay Area, he, he's passed on, but he came up to me the day after, and he says, what you did was better than a perfect game. And I said, Leonard, how do you consider that? He said, you had to get 28 outs. Hmm. It takes 27 to yeah. get a perfect game. So you got the equivalent of 28. That's one better than a perfect game. So uh, you could look at it that way. And, uh, and ever since he said that, that's, uh, that's the way I've looked at it. I got 28 outs. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> well, it was uh, Leonard and uh, he was wise. So it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Jerry, you had almost 2,000 strikeouts. I think the number is uh, 1,907 strikeouts. And you said you weren't a strikeout pitcher. But you also mentioned about uh, you had games where you had low pitch counts. In the 80s and 70s and 80s, pitch counts weren't as relevant as it is today. Uh, but did, did you know you had a pitch count? Did you know what number you could go up to? Or did you know, at, at look, at, at 120 pitches, I'm done? No, there was never anything hard and fast about pitch counts on any team that I played for. Now, to dispel the rumor, yeah, they, they kept track of pitches. They kept track of the number of pitches. But it, a certain pitch count didn't really indicate anything. What was the indicator was 
how well the opposing hitters were taking swings at the pitcher out there. And you could see a pitcher lose it in some cases pretty quick based on the way the opposition is swinging at his pitches. And that's usually what managers relied on more than anything else. If they weren't getting good swings, pitchers stayed in. There was no hard and fast rule, much like it is today, that arbitrary number of 100 pitches and you're gone. Right. Why it's 100 pitches, I don't know. I would imagine it has something to do with, with going through the lineup a third time. And I'll agree with uh, those who keep track of such things that the first two times through the order, uh, the pitchers, it seems to be more to their advantage. But the third time through, uh, then a pitcher is more vulnerable and it's time for the manager to start mixing and uh, matching his pitchers against the opposition's hitters. And that's the way that many managers rule and many front offices want it to be. Well, I'm going to keep you a few more minutes, Jerry, and, and yeah. thank you very much. We thank you. Yes. Before, I, I, I want to, I'd be nervous if I didn't uh, send uh, pass along my condolences to your friend, to you, to your friend, uh, Jay Johnstone, who recently passed away. I know he was a hell of a ball player and a prankster as well. I uh, just want to pass along our condolences to you. Oh, well, thank you. I read that you were, you also did some uh, announcing for the Dodgers and for the, uh, I believe, the uh, Las Vegas 51s. Uh, how was your broadcasting career? Well, I'll give you the complete history. I retired as an active player in 1990, worked for ESPN for three years through 92, and then three years, well, and then I moved here to Las Vegas where I did radio for the team, the local AAA team, which was the Las Vegas Stars at that time. Then I took a job with the California Angels and did television for them, just the road games. Did that for three years. And when I couldn't find a broadcasting job, I coached for five in the minor leagues. A job opening with the Dodgers doing radio games about 40 or so a year opened up in 2006. So from Six to 2008, I broadcast games for the Dodgers. Uh, when the Dodgers reformulated their broadcast team, I stayed here in Las Vegas and then worked for the 51s, which is now the Aviators, and have been here, been here well, for 15 years doing about 30 or 40 games a year for them. So that's my broadcast career. The Aviators are, are affiliated with what team now? I know the 51s were for the Mets. Well, were for a lot of teams, the Dodgers, the Mets, Toronto. So uh, the affiliation now is with the Oakland A's. Uh, geographically speaking, it's pretty good. Yeah. Considering that it's an hour flight, so if you have to shuffle a player from the AAA ball club to the major league team and they both happen to be at home, you could probably do it in the course of just a couple of hours. Now, you also, you were, you also coached for three teams after uh, your baseball career ended? Did you coach for three? Am I yeah, right? I coached for three. They were minor league teams. I, I coached double A for Montreal, three years at triple A for the Cubs, and then one more year in double A, that for the Mets. Coaching was fun, but it was certainly a lot different than what minor league coaches do today. Uh, they've hired more people. And they, they have a little better idea and a little closer communication with the major league club. But, of course, all of that's going to change because major league baseball wants to contract the minor leagues. 
to, I guess, to save money on expenses. And they claim that by saving money on affiliates, that it will allow them to raise the salaries of minor league players, which, and if you knew the salaries of guys in the minor leagues, you would just wince and think, how in the world can you make a living on a minimum of at AAA of just $1,200 a month, and you're playing just five months out of the year. So you figure all that you're going to earn is $6,000. Those are impossible wages to, to make a living. So, well, that's a pet peeve, and that's, I guess, for another discussion. No, I, I, I totally hear you, and I understand that we – I know Len and I have discussed with other baseball people why their contraction made minor leagues, and it's just, it's unbelievable. Anyway, one final one for me is 220 wins is a great career. Aside from the World Series, could you give us some of the most uh, achievements that you are most proud of? Well, first of all, making it to the big leagues, because that's not an easy thing to do. Second, but, you know, well, I did pitch a no-hitter. I did win a game in the World Series, got into a couple of all-star games, had a couple of other notable events that happened during my career, and it spanned over 22 different seasons. You put it all together, 220 wins, and when you consider that over 8,000 different men have pitched in the major leagues, and the 220 wins ranks at number 78 all-time, as far as what I did, yeah, my name's there. In fact, it's in the top 99% of anybody who's ever thrown a pitch in Major League Baseball. You know, that's patting myself on the back. It's not a Hall of Fame career, uh, but it, it shows that I did have a significant career as far as time spent and games won. Well, it was a wonderful career, but you also had one home run. I know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, you, you hit one home run. Nobody calls you a home run. You, you know, Jerry, absolutely had an incredible career. One of the things that I used to, I used to look at guys when I was younger, and I didn't, because I didn't appreciate all the work that went into staying healthy, staying on the field. And I'd look at the guys who, you know, they, and I'm not saying this is you, but, you know, they were compilers, right? And but the thing that people don't understand, and, I, and maybe it's as I get older and I see how difficult it is just to get out of bed in the morning, is year in and year out, you put in all the work, you had some amazing seasons, and 220 wins is a damn impressive career. I mean, your, your career started when the Mets were winning the world's, their first World Series and ended you know, 20 years later, you know, in 1990, you, you spanned a couple of generations there. It's, it's a remarkable career. You have so much respect from us. And I just think that what you must have put your body through, and you, like you said, you're paying for it now with the surgeries and stuff, but you should be commended on, on just a, an amazing, remarkable career. And you are part of that career as being on baseball and barbecue, <laughs> which is, might be the highlight. It might be, you know, uh, I, the, these things just keep happening and, and I'm thankful for all of it. Uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Well, it's this afternoon where you are. Uh, enjoyed the conversation and let's hope we can do it again and make sure that you don't burn the barbecue for Thanksgiving weekend. Can't okay. Be- Thank we- you very much, Jerry. Thank you. All right, guys. All right. Bye-bye.
Okay. We had Jerry Royce. And Jeff, one thing that we have to acknowledge, because I think people might be listening to that interview and say, what, where is it Thanksgiving? <laughs> so full confession, during this pandemic, Jeff and I have had the opportunity to do a lot of interviews. Maybe we've done too many interviews. Um, no, you could never do too many interviews. We had the opportunity to get Jerry Royce. And what are we going to say? Oh, no, let's wait. No, if you, get, if you have the opportunity to get Jerry Royce, you get him. But in respect to everyone else that we've interviewed, we're trying to go in order. Right. And it's unfortunate, uh, especially we have these authors on that we want to sell their books. They have terrific books. So we certainly don't want to skip over them. So we did record Jerry Royce back in, I guess it was uh, end of November. Uh-huh. Um, but the only thing that he said that had anything time related was Thanksgiving and what he was going to make, right. you know, and talk about cooking. Otherwise, everything he said could have been said basically anytime. Sure. It's, you know, it, yep. so, but uh, I just didn't want people going to listen and then hey, thanks, <laughs> Thanksgiving. Wait, it's, <laughs> aren't we about to, aren't we in May? Hey, you know, so, May. Right. So I, I, I thought we should clear That's that. That's one up. of the issues when we have, uh, when we release every two weeks. Right. So we do have a backlog, but you know what? The great backlog. We have exciting things coming up. Yeah, we have we have some really great things coming up. I mean, the, it's amazing to have uh, the interviews that we have set up. And that's just on the baseball side. Yes. The barbecue side, we're not as backed up on the barbecue side. We're not as backlogged on that side. But we, we have some things. Anyway, you guys don't care about this. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you just want to listen, enjoy it. We're so glad you did. And Jeff, let's just say, unless you have something else that you want to talk about, no, let's let's bring on the to end our show, the big blue wrecking crew. Nice. <laughs> See you guys. They are truly the champions of the world. And recently recorded a remake of Queen's classic song, We Are the Champions. Please welcome Steve Yeager, Rick Monday, Jerry Royce, and Jay Johnstone. The hot new group, the big blue wrecking crew. Time after time, I've done my sentence, but committed no crime, and bad mistakes, I've made a few. Taking my vows and my curtain call, you brought me fame and 
and fortune and everything that goes with it. And I thank you all. But there's been no better roses, no pleasure cruise. I consider it for the whole human race. Did you see them? Yes, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Roger, Dodger. The world champions, sweetheart. What do you mean, champions of what? Baseball, you dote. Heck, you don't know what the Minnesota Twins are, boys or girls. You know that game where everyone runs around, gets sweaty, hugs Tommy Lasorda, and pours champagne on the head. Anyway, honey, did you listen to the singing? Yes, did you enjoy it? You'd rather listen to them pour champagne on each other's heads. 